Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to Episode 81, The Dispensation of Grace, Part 4. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries. I'm Scott Mitchell, and I, once again, I'm not here with Zena, the warrior princess, who is off today again. Wasn't able to make our schedules work so that we could record together, but don't worry, she'll be back. And uh, she's kind of going through some training on her own there, so uh, we'll, um, we'll reconnoiter our schedules at some point very shortly, and you'll see her again. In the meantime, you're stuck with me. And this is going to be part four of our series on the dispensation of grace. Remember, we're talking about the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And we ask the question, are you ready to take the red pill? Sometimes the red pill is not just the odd and unusual things like weird uh, giants and angels and UFOs, but it's actually actually doctrinal things that the religious world, too, hides the truth of God. And much of Christian religious teaching over the last 2,000 years has been aimed at directing eyes away from what the Word of God is really saying. So we're going to do our best to kind of reveal this mystery. This series is admittedly a little bit more theological than most of our discussions, but I hope you'll bear with us and learn something. And I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. We've been talking about the dispensation of grace. This is episode 81. And we've been talking about how a transition took place after Jesus rose from the dead. And the program went from a national salvation message to Israel to a message of salvation to all the world through Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And what we ended up with last episode was that Paul was uh, sent to Cyprus, and a man that resisted the truth named Bar-Jesus, a false prophet and sorcerer, and a Jewish person, rejected and tried to withstand the truth from a man named Sergius Paulus who wanted to know the Word of God. And it was a picture and type of the blinding of Israel— and the opening of, of the message to Gentiles, which Peter went and unlocked the door when he went to Cornelius. So we're going to explore that idea of the blinding of Israel in Romans, the book of Romans chapter 11. Paul wrote this much later after those events that we saw last week on the island of Cyprus. But in Romans 11 verse 25, he writes, um, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, blindness in part has happened to Israel. 
Uh, it's in part is in more than one interpretation. It doesn't mean that a Jewish person can never be saved. It's in part. So that means they're not fully blinded. A Jew can be saved today. Paul preached to Jews. He started off every time he went to a new city going to the synagogues of the Jews. So nothing changes there. An Israelite, a Jewish person can be saved. Okay. It's also in part because it's only going to be for a certain amount of time. It's only going to be so long, and we believe it's during the period of the dispensation of grace. So while that in itself is a mystery, this mystery ties into it. Uh, this mystery that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So, Israel is blinded, but they will be saved. They will be restored. They're blinded for a time. Now, what is the story behind that? Well, the nation Israel had the prophets of God, had the law of God. Uh, they constantly were trying to be um, uh, rebuked back into fellowship with God over the centuries uh, by the prophets, and they killed them and stoned them and mistreated them. So finally God sent his son, the king of the kingdom, the Messiah, and they killed him too. So the nation rejected Christ, and they rejected the preaching of his apostles. So finally they were blinded, and God stopped the clock of the prophetic timetable of the book of Daniel, which we may get to uh, in this. Uh, hopefully this will conclude it today, but we'll see how far we get. So we're going to back up to Romans chapter 11, verse 1, to try to get the story behind it. Paul writes in verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Israel. Well, he says, God forbids. There's so many promises about Israel being restored. There's no way he cast them away. They're going to be restored, but they've been temporarily blinded. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Never forget, Paul was a Jew. Saul of Tarsus was born a Jew, a Benjamite. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. So God foreknew there would be some Jews in Paul's time and later that would believe. And he's made provision for them to be saved through a Gentile message, mind you, but uh, salvation nevertheless. He says, uh, what know ye not, uh, what ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah, Elias, Elijah, um, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. You know, Elijah was praying to God, woe is me. I'm the only one left, and they're coming after me too. Because Israel at this time had turned completely over to Baal worship. Verse 4, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, the 7,000 men he reserved were back in the days of Elijah. He's not saying there's only 7,000 Jews that are going to be saved with Paul's message. Paul's just using that reference to let him know, let the, the readers know, that just as it was in the days of Elijah, so will there be reserved unto God some people of Israel that will believe. He says in verse 5, Even so then at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Grace. We're in the dispensation of grace. And God's not dealing with Israel any longer on the basis of the salvation program of the kingdom, which was national and rejected. It's been put on hold. He's dealing with them on the basis of grace. 
verse 6. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So he makes a distinction between grace, unmerited favor of God to save anybody for any reason, and work, keeping the commandments, doing good to be saved, which religion, by the way, is still teaching and still deceiving the nations to be under that repressive theology. So what's the conclusion? Verse 7, what then? Israel, the nation, hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. He was seeking the kingdom. He was seeking to be restored as a priesthood. But the election hath obtained it, salvation, and the rest of Israel were blinded. According as it is written, and this is all in the Old Testament scriptures, even in the Jewish Bible, it says, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, and David wrote the Psalms, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Recompense is like, let it pay them back. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. So the blinding of Israel was for those that rejected the truth, rejected Messiah, and would not believe. All right? And we see it's in part. And what we're going to find is that it's going to continue until Israel makes their confession, as we've talked about many times on this show, and turns back to God in their affliction. The battle of Gog and Magog, when it starts, seems to be the catalyst for Israel turning back to God, and he starts dealing with them as a nation again. But until that time, according to the book of Hosea, they are lo-ami, not my son. Now, verse 11. I say then, Paul continues, have they stumbled that they should fall? Was that just the end of it? Did they, are they stumbling and blinding? Are they blinded at, at the truth and stumbled at Jesus Christ, the rock, just so that they could fall because God wanted to get rid of them? He says, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, the blinding and the falling of Israel, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So this all happened as part of God's plan. He knew Israel would reject Christ. He offered him anyway, but he foreknew that they would reject him, but he also foreknew those that would believe. He foreknew there would be a number in Israel that would believe, and he calls them part of the elect or the election. And so he says, they fell that salvation has come to the Gentiles through their fall. God called this man Saul and changed his name to Paul after Peter was uh, unlock the door to the Gentiles. Verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, the fall of Israel is the riches of the world, the rest of the world can be saved, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. In other words, if God's going to use Israel that didn't believe to go down so salvation can come to the Gentiles, how much more will they be fulfilled later when he restores them again? And he will. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. Paul is saying, hey, God called me 
to be the apostle of the Gentiles. None of the 12 are the apostles to the Gentiles. Even though Peter opened the door, 12 is the number of Israel. There's 12 apostles. Paul is the 13th apostle, and 13 is the number of rebellion. So he says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul still wants his Jewish brethren to be saved. It's his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. So he preaches to Gentiles, but he looks for every opportunity he can to also preach to Jews so that they can be saved. He says, for if the casting away of them, Israel, be the reconciling of the world, and it was through the message Paul preached. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Israel will receive resurrection too when they turn back to the Lord. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And here Paul's referring to something called the feast or the sacrifice of first fruits. And it comes from a a lump of dough. It's, it's bread made from a lump of dough. And if the lump, if the first fruit be holy, if the bread is holy, then the lump is also holy from which it came. So he's saying like there's a piece that came off of the source. And if that piece is holy, then the source has to be holy. He says, and if the uh, root be holy, so are the branches. Meaning if, you know, if the root of, a, say, a plant, like a tree, is a holy tree, then the branches are holy too because they grew out of the root. Now, that analogy is going to lead us to something that leads to much, much confusion and remains a mystery today to many people. I'm very grateful to God for the men that were given some wisdom and insight about this who've taught me, and I'm going to share that knowledge with you. He says, verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off of this holy tree... And thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Well, now we got a little more insight into what this plant is. The root and the branches are an olive tree. Olives in the Bible represent blessings. So we can say this is Israel's blessings. And the natural olive tree of Israel's blessings had natural branches. Israelites growing on the tree, but some of them didn't believe. So they were broken off of the tree, the unbelieving branches, and some wild olive tree branches were grafted into them. That represents Gentiles who were not from the natural tree, but they believed and they were grafted in and could partake of the blessings of the tree. It's all going to come through Jesus Christ, you see, but he came through Israel. So he says, boast not against the branches. Remember, he said, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I speak to you Gentiles. So Paul's writing to Gentiles here. These are the wild olive branches that are grafted into the tree, that are partaking of the fatness of the tree. He says, don't boast against the branches, against the branches as if to say, God didn't like them because they rejected Christ, but he liked us because we believe. So he grafted us in because we're better than them. And from that comes the term replacement theology, a satanic doctrine that teaches that the church today is replacement Israel. We are not Israel. The church is the church. Israel is Israel. We're all part of the household of God. That is true. But we didn't replace anybody. It is a mystery period of time 
It is the dispensation of grace in which we are grafted in to the wild, uh, to the natural tree. And as we're going to see in a moment, we're going to be broken off eventually too when the dispensation comes to an end. Boast not against the branches, he says, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. The root of Israel's blessings is the base of the tree. You're grafted in because of Jesus Christ. The natural branches, if they don't remain in unbelief, Israel can be grafted back in again, and they will. Watch. Verse 19, thou will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in, which is pride. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. God didn't graft in the wild olive branch Gentiles because they were better. He just grafted them in because they believed and the natural branches didn't. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded or arrogant, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches and he did not spare them when they were broken off and they were blinded and fell, take heed, beware, lest he also spare not thee. And you know what that tells me? It has nothing to do with losing salvation because you can't. It has everything to do with this time in which we live, the dispensation of grace, where we're partaking of the root and fatness of the tree. Paul said we're made partakers of Israel's spiritual things will come to an end someday. And when it does, God's going to deal with Israel again. So if we are arrogant and lazy and complacent and become Laodiceans or whatever, uh, um, like the book of Revelation says, then God says, I'm done with the church in the dispensation of grace. Israel will respond to me now as a nation. I'll take them back and be their God, and they will be my people, and I'll bring the church out of this world and get them out of the way. And that's exactly what he's going to do probably very soon. Verse 22, Behold, therefore, the severity and the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, Israel, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And there is a cutoff point coming soon. The dispensation of grace will end. Verse 23, And they also, the the branches that were broken off, Israel, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. And he is going to graft them in again when the time is right. And it looks to me like the time is approaching quickly. We've talked about numerous times with Second Peter chapter 3, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Hosea chapter 6, come let us return to the Lord. After two days he will raise us up. Two days, two thousand years. We're quickly approaching the 2,000th year since the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. A.D. 33 was when he died. Is A.D. 2033, 2,000 years later. I understand it's a Julian calendar. It doesn't matter. It still equates to 365 days a year, no matter how you slice it. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 2, because last week we alluded, or last episode, we alluded to... Uh, Peter and Paul having different commissions or different ministries, if you will. They didn't preach exactly the same thing. There's the same gospel message that they preach, but they were given separate commissions. So first of all, in chapter 2, the book of Galatians, which Paul wrote in verse 1, 
And he's sort of given a history of things. He says, then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Now he's saying 14 years after some point when he got saved on that trip to Damascus. It looks to be that there was another three-year period after that too. So it's really technically something like 17 years later at the minimum from the day Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, remember last episode, we talked about Christ telling the 12, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. And in Acts chapter 1, they asked, will you now restore the kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Well, putting that together and the mentality they would have had was, the Lord is coming soon. And at the outside, they must have thought maybe seven years, expecting to go into the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble. And seven years came and passed, and then 10 years, and then 15. And now it's 17 years later, at least. And they're wondering, Lord, where are you? Why haven't you come back? We don't understand. So Paul was told to go up to Jerusalem to explain the dispensation of grace. So chapter 2 again, verse 1, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation. God revealed to him to do this and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Well, why did he need to communicate that gospel if they already knew it and were preaching it? It's because they didn't know exactly what he was preaching. They knew about the gospel that Christ died for sins, but they don't know about the timing of things. Maybe he explained the olive tree to them. Maybe he explained the blinding and falling of Israel. Who knows? But he communicated by revelation, and he said privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. You know why he had to do this privately? Because already that church at Jerusalem had been infiltrated with false apostles. You don't think about that. The Bible talks about false apostles, and we read it as though, yeah, there's some guys out there claiming to be false apostles. No, there were false apostles, not of the 12. There were men in Jerusalem at the time in the church claiming to be apostles that were not appointed of God, and it might shock you to learn who they are. It would shock you to know who they are. But Paul knew who they were. And so he had to speak privately to them. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren sent by the false apostles, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. You know what this false brethren doctrine was? To put you back under the law to keep you circumcised. Today, it's something else. It's the same false doctrine in Christian religion today amongst many preachers. Whether it's circumcision, confession, baptism, speaking in tongues, laying your sins at the altar, whatever requirement they're telling you that you must keep to be saved is the same circumcision untruth that was being preached right here. They were trying to get Titus, who was a Gentile, to be circumcised or he couldn't be saved. And he said, we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We didn't tolerate this doctrine for an hour, he said, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. 
But of these who seemed to be somewhat, the ones who were of reputation, that he had to speak with privately, he says, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. Seems to me that among this conference, in private, amongst those of reputation, could have been the false apostles. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. Who were of reputation. But he says, in conference, they added nothing to me. When we had this conference and we discussed my gospel, they added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, Gentiles, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Even though Peter opened the door to the Gentiles, remember, he's not the apostle of the Gentiles. He was given the gospel of the circumcision, and the message he preached you can see in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. All right? And when James, Kephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. So you can see that a lot was uh, discussed and agreed upon in this conference, that Peter and Barnabas and Silas and, and Titus, they're going to go preach to Gentiles. Peter and John and James were going to stay preaching to Israel because they're part of a national salvation program. They wouldn't hesitate to share the truth of the gospel with the Gentile, but they, that's not their commission. That's not what they were given to do. But do they know the same truth about Paul's message? Well, you better believe they do. Look in verse 11. Peter at least does. He says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, remember Antioch is where Paul was sent forth from. That's where his home church is. Peter was come to Antioch, up from Jerusalem. I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And James appears to be a troublemaker. This James, not the half-brother 
or rather not the brother of John, but the half-brother of Jesus, this James may well have been one of the false apostles. But he sent some men that caused trouble for the church there, and they tried to put him back under the bondage of the law. And the other Jews, verse 13, dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So think about it. Peter comes to Antioch. There's the whole church there fellowshipping together, Jew and Gentile alike, eating, eating dinner together. And James sends some men up from the church in Jerusalem that are false brethren, because he himself is probably a false brethren. And they put so much pressure on Peter that even Barnabas separates himself from the Gentiles. And he'd been traveling with Paul now for how many years? He knew better. He knew the truth of the gospel that he preached. But when I saw, Paul says, that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. Now remember, this is Paul the apostle talking to Peter the apostle. And he's rebuking him because Peter knows something and he let go of that truth. They're men. Don't forget this. I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, Peter, livest after the manner of Gentiles, which he was doing at Antioch, and not as do the Jews, why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, why would you separate yourself and make the Gentiles feel like they have to do the same thing? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Does Peter know this? You better believe he does. He knows that a man is not justified by the works of the law, so why would he try to impose the law upon these believers? Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, Peter, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, Peter. In other words, Paul is saying to Peter, you know this. Why did you let go of it? They were preaching the same message, but he was acting different now. Yes, he had a Jewish message. Yes, he had an Israeli national message too. But he knew the truth of the gospel. He knew about justification by grace through faith. And he turned from it in this moment because of the pressure of the false brethren sent by James. So what is the truth of the gospel? Go to 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll show you a truth that is rarely understood today. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also written by Paul, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That word also is going to be important. Let's come back to that in a moment. And what did he receive? How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures did Paul have in his hands? We don't know how many letters he's written yet, but we know he had the Old Testament scriptures. So could you find in the Old Testament scriptures that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and rose again the third day? Yes, you can. Jesus said you could when he talked about the sign of Noah and on and on it goes. Isaiah 53. We can go, you know, we could spend another three weeks on those verses, okay? But nevertheless, 
these passages are found in the scriptures. Now, that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised again. That's the good news whereby they are saved at Corinth, and you too. That's the good news we're trying to share through Bible mysteries. But also, he said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, implying that Paul's not the only one that received it. He was the first in a pattern that should believe. That's true. Paul got saved directly by Jesus Christ himself as the first in something. Absolutely true. It began the dispensation of grace. But what he received about Christ dying for sins, according to the scriptures, was also received by him. Who else received it? Well, look in verse 5. That he was seen of Kephas, then of the twelve, speaking of Peter. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. So he's, now he's talking about the eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. This whole chapter is about resurrection. Verse 7, after that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. You know, that James there could well have been this James, the half-brother of Jesus. And some people believe that it was um, his conversion experience. I don't know that that's true. For all we know, he could have appeared to James, and James didn't believe. And that's why he sent false brethren. We don't know that. It could have been a different James, but regardless of what it was, he was seen of all the apostles, verse 8, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Now, it doesn't appear that James, the half-brother of Jesus, became prominent in the church at Jerusalem until after Paul got saved. So when he says, last of all, he was seen of me, I tend to think this James is somebody else, but never mind. And in verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet or fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And we discussed that last episode as well. Saul was the bad guy. He was the chief persecutor. He was the enemy of God. But he was the last one God, Christ appeared to and called him, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me, which began the dispensation of grace, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Than who all? Than the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, all that little bit of history is important to understand the next verse. Verse 11, when Paul writes and says, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believed. He had just said that I declare unto you the gospel in verse 1, whereby you're saved in verse 2, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised again in verses 3 and 4. Wherefore, whether it were I that preached this gospel, that Christ died for sins, or they that preached the gospel, Christ died for your sins, who is the they? <laughs> it's the same they he just mentioned. It's the apostles. Do you mean to say the apostles were preaching Christ died for sins? Absolutely they were. They were preaching it to Israel. Paul was preaching it to the Gentiles. But he says, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so we, ye believed. Which means that some of the individuals at Corinth in this church here have heard Paul preach and might have gotten saved. Some might have heard Peter preach it 
and got saved. And some apparently heard the preaching of a man named Apollos, another mighty uh, disciple of the Lord, and they got saved. And incidentally, they were divided in this thinking because they each heard the gospel from a different person. They formed their own denominations. And Paul writes to them to say, don't do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Kephas, or Peter, and I of Christ. Well, they were divided. That was the reason for the division, because they were you know, separating each other from to follow a man, and they weren't supposed to follow a man. They were first to, supposed to follow the truth of God and the gospel of Christ. He says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Well, no, the answer is rhetorical, no. Was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. So we're not supposed to be following men, and yet that's what religion is today. Christian religion, following the teachings of men, and it's wrong. And it's one of the lies that is being propagated upon you so that you don't see the mystery of the dispensation of grace. Look in chapter 2, verse 3. And I was with you in much weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. They were supposed to preach the truth of the power of God. And so at this point, as we wrap things up, I'm going to post again above here or in the, in the video, this timeline to show you from Adam till the new heaven and the new earth comes. And in the book of Acts, right about Acts chapter nine was when Saul of Tarsus got saved and became Paul and God started the dispensation of grace where he's saving anybody, Jew or Gentile today who will trust that Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised again. And you're going to see there's a purple arrow at the end of that bracket of between Romans through Philemon, the letters Paul wrote. 13 letters by the 13th epistle. Isn't that interesting? Um, and that purple arrow points up, meaning that's when this church is going to go up. It's going to happen when the wild olive branches that were grafted in are broken off. And you can see what begins immediately after that catching up is the seven-year tribulation period or the 70th week of Daniel, which God is going to use to complete the prophetic program. So in closing, I want to turn you to the book of Daniel, and I want to show you this last little bit. And as I stated last week, I'll state again this week, you can... Um, Find the study in the book of Daniel, um, in uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, which we've done prior to this. Uh, for some reason, I'm struggling to find Daniel. Here we go. It's a new Bible I'm using here. Uh, in my other online messages, I um, had been using a particular Bible that's out of print, and people can't get it anymore. And I call out page numbers, so I'm going to be using this other Bible to call out page numbers. Um, I don't do that in the podcast because of the format of the show, but it's Daniel chapter 9 and uh, verse 1. 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And that's just a, a fancy way of saying when Darius was king of the Persian Empire. Okay. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, who was in captivity in Persia, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, 70 becomes important because 70 years would be the time in which Israel was carried captive and allowed to go back into the land, and they rebuild their temple. But we're going to skip down to uh, where this angel comes to, the, to Daniel to give him some information. And uh, verse 22, we'll skip where he appears and Daniel's scared and he doesn't know what to do. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Look in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Daniel's people is Israel and upon the holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, Israel's rebellion of God against him, and to make an end of sins when they refuse to acknowledge Messiah, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, the crucifixion of Messiah, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, the restoration of the kingdom, and Messiah reigning as king, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy when Christ would come to reign over the earth. So 70 weeks. Now, just a short little math lesson, which we go into greater detail in the episode series of the Daniel 70 weeks. 70 weeks is 70 times 7. A week is 7 days. So 70 times 7 is uh, 490. 7 times 7, 49. 70 times 7, 490. It's 490 weeks of years. So that means seven years is a week. A week can be used interchangeably for days or months or years. And in this case, it's years. So he says in verse uh, 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, which came forth from the Persian king Cyrus, who made the decree that they could go rebuild the, 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 um, the temple. And that occurred roughly uh, 450 B.C. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, 450 B.C. So 450 years later, Christ was born. And then he arrives and begins his ministry at age 30. So that would be 480 years from the prophecy, okay? And then uh, know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Seven plus three score, a score is 20. Three score is 60. Three score and two, 62. Seven plus 62, 69 weeks which amounts to 483 years, okay, from the commandment to rebuild the temple to Messiah, the prince, uh, it shall be three score and two weeks. The wall shall be built, uh, the street shall be built, and the wall even in troublous times, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The crucifixion of Christ prophesied right here to occur after 69 weeks. 483 years, 
Cyrus decreed it in 450 B.C. Jesus began his ministry at 30 years old. He was crucified at 33 years old. 483 years. How long was the prophecy? 70 weeks. 490 years. 69 of the weeks have been fulfilled. 483 years. Seven years remain. The final week. The 70th week of Daniel. And the rest of that passage goes on to explain how the Antichrist will come and in the middle of the week declare himself to be God. And we believe and teach that that time is fast approaching. And I believe right now that the end of the dispensation of grace is very near. The cutting off of the wild branches is about to take place. The rapture of the church to get us out of the wrath of God and delivered from the wrath to come. And then the seven-year clock will begin. The, it starts with the invasion of Gog into Israel. And um, God delivers them mightily and at that point recognizes them as his people again. And then all hell breaks loose. Moses and Elijah appear. 144,000 men are sealed to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand again. And then the Lord comes back after the seven years ends. We're about to approach a time of unmitigated disaster and chaos on this planet. And it's being put in motion right now by the satanic global elite. Do not reject the gospel message. Your only hope of escaping the wrath and escaping the coming chaos is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And my hope and prayer to God is that you will. This dispensation is coming to an end, and we don't know when it's going to happen, but it can be over like that. Make sure your salvation now. And I thank you for listening today and surely hope that something I've said will be of value to you. We could obviously go far deeper into this message and talk about many more things, but we're going to get into this great reset, uh, Lord willing, next episode, maybe more than one. And also, Lord willing, Zena will be back, so you won't have to just look to me or look at my face or listen to my voice. So once again, as always, we appreciate you that have subscribed to the podcast. Please continue to share it, like it, subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already and uh, let people know about this and until next week we'll see you then thank you for listening today if you like what you heard please subscribe to bible mysteries and share it with a friend if you want to learn more you can go to unlock the bible now that's utbnow.com Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.